it's uh, great to be back. And um, yeah, it's, it's middle of the summer holidays, and you're all here, and it's uh, exciting. I tell you, this, just listening to what's going on in the church here, and you need to be encouraged. You know, I think a number of years ago, if most churches shut down, nobody in the street would miss them. You know, that's the reality. And I remember when I was a pastor up in Aberdeen, and I listened to a man. He didn't just, he didn't just say, you know, if your church shut down, would, would you be missed? He said, if the church shut down, would you be missed in your street? <laughs> you know? And I said, that's a trickier question. Well, there was a parking problem would go away. <laughs> you know, everybody's street would be actually quite happy. You know? And um, so we would have been missed. But actually, if I honestly thought, I said, pretty much we're just doing our thing and gathering and worshipping Jesus, and that's all brilliant. But we're not making much of an impact. <laughs> you know, just listening this morning, you need to be encouraged that kids are coming, the stuff's going on, the coffee shop, that we would be missed. And then we're not just following Jesus, but we're letting his love be known. And that's encouraged to be encouraged. You know, we're not a large community. You know, I worship at Partick, a little offshoot of Queen's Park Baptist Church. And we're not a large community, a little bit smaller than you are. But just starting to make a difference because we want this message to be known. We want Jesus to be known. And so be encouraged. Um, so this morning I'm going to speak on this topic, Faith and the Faithful One, from Matthew 16. And it's about the revelation that Peter has. And this little picture is... Um, um, anybody else? It's, I, I made it a little bit grey, a bit arty, but um, it's not. It doesn't need uh, let one guess. It's my hometown. I'm fessing up again to coming from where. If you're walking along a certain street in a certain city, about 40 miles from here, Princess Street. It's and it's the castle, isn't it? You know, it's the festival time in Edinburgh. And it's just absolutely rammed with uh, people who've come from all over the world. And there's two types of people walk along Princess Street Gardens. There's the locals and the visitors. And the difference between the locals and the visitors is this. As the locals just walk along like this. Yeah, pretty much. The visitors walk along like this. Like, what is that doing? It's a flaming great rock and a great big castle. And imagine if you walked down Buchanan Street, you know what I mean? Or Socky Hall Street. And there's a massive great rock and a castle. You know what I mean? It would be pretty weird, wouldn't it? But we're just, we're, we get used to the things the way they are. So most folk in Edinburgh probably just don't notice the rock. They don't really notice the castle. It's always been there. I grew up there. That castle was just always there. You never gave it a second thought that there were shops on one side and a huge castle on the other. It's probably a bit unusual. Worldwide, it's probably the only thing like it. But you just get used to it. And you don't see it. It takes something new and something fresh. And we're going to look at Matthew 16. It's not a great parallel, but it gives you some idea because... These guys, the disciples, are with Jesus, but they don't see it. They don't get it. And the people who are around and have been around in the land, they don't see it either. They can't see what's going on either. And actually, it starts to take outsiders to see things more clearly. So we're going to read about Peter when he finally starts to go, goodness me. <laughs> and it's all about rocks, and that hopefully just sets the scene for us. So I'm going to read Matthew chapter 16 and starting at verse 13. And it says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? That was the description Jesus often used for himself. They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, that's like Herod, others say Elijah, others still say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. But what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. The Son of the Living God, you're the Messiah. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. 
Because this was revealed to you not by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Lord, thank you for your word to us this morning. And uh, this passage is really about a new level of revelation. It's a foundational revelation that Peter gets. It's a revelation that you can build your life on. And uh, Peter um, sees something for the first time today. Um, just a couple of asides. I always find it fascinating that Jesus often does things in unusual places. I think the last time I was here, uh, I spoke from John chapter 4 about the lady at the well. And it was all the wrong place. The wrong place. It was the wrong person. Men don't talk to women. We don't do it in Samaria. We don't. Well, here's Jesus at it again. It's Caesarea Philippi. This is pagan territory again. He's off-piste. Yeah, he's gone off main slope. He's not in the holy place. He's in Caesarea where they worship the god Pan. It was a centre for secular rule. It was not the kind of place you associated with. You know, so I've been away in a, a Bible week this week up in the Highlands in Fockabers. It's a real place. And... Um, it doesn't just exist on the map, the weather map. You know how in the weather map they pop those places up on the reporting skull and you think, where's Falkerberg's for goodness sake? And it just pops up. And uh, so there's refuel and it's a big tent, there's 700 people and they're worshipping Jesus all week and hearing great Bible teaching and maybe it's a moment like that that you need to see who Jesus is. Well this is just not that. <laughs> this is just the opposite of that. This is just your everyday, run of the mill, pretty, maybe it's your workplace, maybe it's whatever, but it's not the place you associate the sense of the presence of God. They're out and pagan territory, they're trying to get some peace and quiet away from the normal stuff and it's not often like that so it's not the normal place, it's way up north and, uh, and Jesus turns around and he starts to ask the disciples a question, who do the people say that I am? And the people have some various kind of answers. They, they say, well, people say, well, Herod thought he, John the Baptist had come back after he killed off John the Baptist. And others say, well, it could be Jeremiah, it could be Mr. Who, who knows? It's kind of, and they had all these categories that they were trying to put Jesus into. But it's a great question, who do you say that I am? We, in, on the Alpha course, we have a, a little bit on one of the, on the first talk. And Professor Francis Collins, who's, he led the Human Genome Project to decode kind of the genetics of the of the of the of the cell and the human body. A remarkably clever guy. Early in his career, he was in a hospital, and a lady was in trouble, and she was very ill, and she had a bad episode. And uh, she got through it, but the doctor, uh, Professor Collins, couldn't really help her. And um, she said to him, it's okay, doctor, I'm a Christian, I prayed, and God got me through. And she turned around to Francis Collins, and she said to him, but who do you believe in? What do you believe, doctor? And he was completely unwired by this question. He said, I never thought about that question. I never investigated the evidence. I never looked to see Sandy Miller, who set up kind of really Holy Trinity Brompton in London, which founded the Alpha Course, he was on the tube train one day when he was a lawyer. And somebody very rudely asked him on the tube train, do you follow Jesus? And he was very posh, and he was a barrister at the time in the, sort of in the courts, and he was all of this. And somebody basically shouted across the carriage at him, do you know Jesus? And he had no idea whether I knew Jesus. I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know if I knew Jesus. 
What do you mean know Jesus? And that question, just like Francis Collins unwired them, well, Jesus asks them what Francis Collins calls the most foundational question in the world. is who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And in that moment, Peter sees it. And it's like that rock in the castle. He suddenly goes, I get it. You're the Messiah. You're God's anointed one. You're the one we've been waiting for. I get it. I see it. And it's not by cleverness. You know, and Francis Collins, for all his cleverness, didn't see who Jesus was by cleverness. He saw it by opening himself up to God and Jesus revealing himself. And that's how you get in to be a Christian. Maybe you don't follow Jesus this morning. And it's, but you don't have to be smart. You, don't have to, you could be smart, you might not be smart. It's not about that. It's about being around here and actually just sensing something of God. And opening yourself up and saying, who are you, Jesus? And God's starting to reveal himself to us. You know, Jesus talked about you could be revealed to little children. And often it's to the least of these that God reveals himself. And Peter picks up this revelation of the anointedness of Jesus, of who he is. And what he discovers is you can't fit Jesus into the categories that exist. Jesus breaks all of the categories. He is neither teacher, nor prophet, nor priest, nor king. He's a new category. He's the Messiah. He's a one of a kind. He breaks every category and creates a new category. We talked about it at the start of the meeting when the brother was sharing. You know that Jesus saves. He's the saviour. Uh, a friend of mine... Um, I know, well, yeah, a friend of mine, um, he's, um, he, he often says this, he says, you know, there's three things that you can think about Christianity. And I love his little quote, maybe he nicked it from somebody else. But he said, you know, Christianity might be about rules. That's a possibility. You know, these are good rules to keep, which would make us better. You know? The other possibility is Christianity might be there's a good role model. Jesus is like, they're following around, he's a good guy. He's living, living amazingly. So he could be a role model. But he says, that's not Christianity either. The reality is that Christianity is neither about rules, neither is it about role models. It's about a redeemer who utterly saves us. Yeah? So, but, and that's a different thing. But that then helps us to be like Christ and to keep the rules. But it's an entirely different thing. And that's the kind of revelation Peter's getting today. Who Jesus is, and as he absorbs who Jesus is into himself, he's going to live a different life. It's not going to be without mishaps as we're going to see. But it starts with this foundational revelation. And then the good news is that he can build on our broken lives. And that's a friend of mine, Des. I'm going to show you a little clip about Des in a minute. But I'll talk about Peter first from the passage here. And it's quite Jesus. Is, I like the fact Jesus has some humour about him. Yep, he's not kind of like, Jesus was not dull to be with. I mean, Jesus was good at a party. Good at a wedding, good at a funeral. I mean, Jesus was good to be around. Stuff was going to happen with Jesus, you know what I mean? You can never know what Jesus could do to bring in the kingdom. So he he has a bit of a wordplay here with uh, Peter. And he says, blessed are you, Simon, for this was not revealed to you by men. And you, you are Peter. You are Petros. You're Rocky. You know, so pretty much the same parlance as we would have had with the film Rocky. It says, you are Rocky, and on this Petra, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. I can imagine all the other disciples are going, whoa, I don't know about that. He's a wild one. He's unreliable. He's like, he's always, at, you know, it's like, are you serious? But it's a very, very clear kind of wordplay that Jesus has about Rocky being the rock. And I will build my church. He doesn't say, but... 
You know, so sometimes people have thought kind of there's three views of this kind of passage. Maybe Jesus is not saying he wants to build on Peter at this moment. He's actually saying he just wants to build on Jesus. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the foundation. We know that from other passages. But that's maybe not entirely what Jesus is saying here. You know, other people have tried to palm it off and say, well, maybe it's, it's the kind of revelation that Peter gets that Jesus wants to build on. Yeah, that's maybe another interpretation of the passage. It says Peter, but, but it doesn't say but. It says and. He doesn't say, you are Peter, but I'm going to build on this revelation of who I am. He says, and you are Peter, and I'm going to build on you. And, and why can Jesus build on Peter, an unreliable one? And it's because he's had this foundational revelation. Yep. That Jesus is the rock, there's no doubt about that. The revelation of the gospel is a rock you can build your life on. But Peter's going to have that put into his life so that Jesus can build on him. Which is a remarkable thing. The rock is going to be in him. So Jesus can say, I'm going to build on you. Because you're a bit rocky at the moment, but you're going to be a rock. And Jesus can pick the unreliable one and say, I'm going to build on you. Because I'm going to put what I am and who I am in you. And make you stable and solid. I'm going to be able to build on you. And Jesus is saying this when five verses later, in verse 23, Peter's going to blow it for the first time since he's been called the rock that Jesus could build on, build a church on. And Jesus turns to Peter in verse 23, which is just beyond what we wrote, and says, get behind me, Satan. That's a nice thing to say. You're a stumbling block for me. You're not the right kind of rock. You're a stumbling block. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So Jesus doesn't say to Peter, you're a rock, because he's never going to blow it. He says... That he's going to build on him because he is able to work with Peter. He's able to make him a rock. He's able to make him solid. It's not based on his confidence in Peter. It's based on his confidence in himself and the revelation that Peter's got. That Peter's seen who Jesus is and that Jesus is going to work through his life. And we only have to turn on to the early thing in Acts when we see Peter speaking out the gospel to thousands of people. And something remarkable has happened in him. And he truly has been someone that God can build on. I'm going to show you a little bit of my friend Des. Des was, you wouldn't think, the kind of person that Jesus would necessarily be able to build on. But here's Des's story. I work in the retail by day, I was about for by night. But I only really did these jobs to keep my coaching addiction. The life of my house very violent and pretty much anything like. I was standing at the door and get abuse after abuse. And the mentality was to push each other with a lot of banter and try and be faster or funnier or more aggressive than the next guy. My life became a, a real jump between knocking people out or punching people in the face and waking up in park benches. The violent scene made me take more, more drinking drugs just to kind of stay normal. Um, and then one night I found myself alone and I took an overdose. Um, and I realised that I didn't want to die, so I tried out in prayer. The next day I woke up and didn't want to touch cocaine ever again. I put this out of my own strength and just being a strong character. But then something was different. I kept meeting Christians, and in my life I worked out, was quite strange. And then there was this one woman, Fiona, who worked in the store I worked in, and she was a Christian. She openly shared her faith, and that made me ask her a lot of questions, and I mercilessly tortured her for answers. And she was really, really nice and didn't get angry and handed me a Bible and said I should maybe try reading it. I decided to ask me out because I really started to fall for her. She said no. 
<laughs> and then I thought she lived her life by this book, so I should maybe get the answer for why she should go out and read in this book. So I started to read it. And instead, I found a lot of other things. It was at this point that I asked Fiona to take me along to church. When I got to the church, I didn't really know what to expect. I'd never been to church before. And um, there was an alpha starting. So I thought, what have I got to lose? So I went along and did the alpha course. It was great to meet so many different people who um, made me feel just so welcome and were just really, really nice. And it really made me start to think about some of the bigger questions in life, like why would God choose to forgive me? Or how could I even possibly remotely become a Christian? As the weeks went on, we got closer and closer, and you know, we ate together, we had fun together, we laughed over the discussions, and we really started to develop a real sense of family. And with these people's lives, to work out what it meant to be a Christian today, that really spoke to me and really encouraged me to think about things differently. I'll probably turn the questions I had in their belief about God and that God really genuinely cares for me and everyone else. I think from a violent, loveless, sarcastic, to a family man who's happily married and just a mother alike. You and I are married and we've just had a baby. I've been running alphas for many different people, from gangs to grannies, and I've really seen people's lives change. Every day is an adventure. Mm. You probably recognise her. Uh... The nightclub at Des was down in front of Saki Hall Street. If you're if you're kind of familiar with those parts, there's a very famous one that Des was a bouncer at. And but I'm sure because you're just thinking when when God is looking down, you know He says, "See Des, there's someone I can build on." So that's not necessarily my reaction. But see, Jesus can do that. You know, and as Des started to read his Bible, he started you know through the faithfulness of somebody at his workplace. He took a kind of like, I'm going to see what we can do with Des. <laughs> and Fiona's about this size and Des is about this size. And uh, he was the manager of the store. He worked in retail by day, bouncing at nightclubs by night. And uh, she made him a project, a kingdom project. Yeah, and she won it. <laughs> because God looked down on Des and said, I can build on him. You know what Des's job is? He's got two jobs, actually. One is he's now pastoring a church out from Kirkintilloch Baptist on a scheme in Kirky. Where stabbing's quite common. <laughs> yeah. So that's what's good. He's doing that part time. He works for me two days a week. So I know him really well. He oversees that Youth Alpha uh, in Scotland. And he's a remarkable guy. He just finished at the Baptist College. He's now the Reverend Des. He used to be DJ and Bouncer Des. And he's now the Reverend Des. Um, and he just got ordained uh, and sorted out. Um, finished the Baptist College. And he's getting his first kind of work up in Kirky with Kirky Baptist as a missionary pastor. Church planting on a scheme. Isn't that amazing what God can do? Isn't that amazing what God can build on? You know, you're thinking, that's not a, a great prospect. Like, Jesus, you'd be much better picking some smart people from over there. We get the job done. But God doesn't do that. God picks on the Peters and says, you know, you could be a rock, I could build. And the thing is, it's not just for Peter, because the worry we have of this passage, if we put down that, that Jesus says, I can build on Peter, you, some people could say, well, that means that Peter's the foundation of the church, and maybe we get into some other kind of theologies. But it's not like that, because in Matthew 18, Jesus then says to the disciples, I'm going to build my church on you. And then in Acts, he's going to build his church, and it gets wider and wider and wider. Peter is the first one to see the revelation. That's why Jesus can say to him, right, you now a rock and I can build on you. And when you see the revelation, you're a rock that Jesus can build on. 
And as the disciples see and get that revelation that they can become this bigger and bigger thing that Jesus can build on because it's Christ in us. That he is the foundational revelation and he can do anything. So everybody's in. Everybody's buildable material. And you might think, well, Paul, my life's shaky. Well, it's no shakier than Peter's and it's no shakier than Des's. You know, but God's put his feet in a rock. And I think, well, isn't that amazing to put a family man out of a loveless guy like that? And to make him just a huge teddy bear uh, who's out, comes into the office and says, Paul, just let a guy to Jesus. I say, cool, go in and give him some more. <laughs> you can work for an alpha another day. That's okay. <laughs> but that's just his passion and he's helping to build the church and we're helping to build the church. So Peter's called into this. And then he gets given the keys. I wonder if you can remember. It's a quite a quirky passage about binding and loosing and all sorts of things. But anyway, does anybody know what this is? You need to cast your mind back to 2009. It was on the paper, it was on the papers, on the news. The Hudson River. Yep. Hudson River in New York City. What, can anybody remember what happened? It landed on water. It's not bad, is it? It was Captain Sully on Flight 1549. And um, 155 passengers on board, and a flock of geese flew through the engines, stalling both engines. And he had a couple of options. He either flew into downtown Manhattan and caused absolute carnage, or there was the Hudson River. And in theory, you can land a plane on a river. You know, or a, or a piece of water if, you know, that's why you get the life jackets. I've never really worried about that. I'm never, not sure how that works exactly. But you know what I mean? It's, it's so, but, but he proved the theory. He actually landed the thing absolutely flat camera and he landed, as you can see, in the plane as it should do floats and people got out. And he saved all 155 people on board. And uh, because of that, this happened. Mm, I've not seen that picture before. What happened to that's uh, Captain Sully? He looks like a proper captain, doesn't he? He's <laughs> all that kind of bearing. But anyway, I, I've known one or two pilots, and they always have that kind of thing. They've had that way of talking. Our plane is about to crash, but it's absolutely fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're cruising at half an inch, but we're going to be okay. I love that. How do they train pilots to talk like that? You know, it's like, and even the young guys can talk like that. It's, I don't know if any pilots near, but I love that. It's just increased confidence. It's great. And then he does land on the river, so it's cool. So uh, anyway, this is him with, oh, come on, hazard a guess what's happening to him. It's getting the keys to New York City. And that's quite cool, isn't it? It's like a proper key, that, isn't it? It's like, it's got a kind of Yale on my key here. It's not that special, car key, whatever. But uh, yeah, he gets given, that's the mayor, and he gets the keys to New York City. And I'm not sure which door it exactly opens, if it opens any door. But it's kind of symbolic, isn't it? And the whole idea of, the, of getting the freedom of a city, as we would call it in Scotland, is that you've kind of done such an amazing thing, you get to go anywhere. You know, so you just, it's just a, that's a fine idea, isn't it? I can just go where I want. And, um, you know, that's all cool what he did. But the reality, which is much deeper in this passage, and what Jesus is talking about, about Peter and the keys and binding and loosing, that the basic truth, I've not got time to go in a massive unpacking of this theologically this morning, but Captain Sully dies for, uh, manages to save 155 people and he gets the keys of the city. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, saves the whole world. And gets the keys to everything. And then he hands them to you and to me. And says, now go and lose some people. Now go and lose some people. Yep. And that's what heaven wants to do. So you do it on earth. 
You do what you see happen. That's what's happening in heaven. That's what Calvary is all about. It's about loosening. Yep, and maybe binding some stuff as well. But we get the keys. And that's what Peter gets told here. He said, uh, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Imagine that. Not the keys to New York City. The keys to the kingdom of heaven. Yep, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, as Jesus has granted free access because of his death on the cross, his bloodshed for the sins of the world, and he redeems and brings the whole world back to himself, that anybody can believe in him, that he goes up to the Father, and his Spirit is poured out to enable us to be this group of people, his church. And Jesus says to Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And no one had ever said that before. He gets the keys. He builds his church. People talk, called it about it as God's community. You know, the ecclesia, the this, the. But Jesus calls it my church. My community. My called out people. And I'm going to give them the keys. So Peter says, you can be the rock. You can be part of this. We can be built on as well. And then we get the keys to let people in. We've been given the keys to let people in. That's about access. We've been given the keys to set people free from addiction, from crime, from sin, from loneliness, from brokenness, from anything. Because the cross has said it all and done it all. There's nothing that's outside of the cross. There's nothing that's not dealt with. There's nothing too much to do. There's nothing left. So we have been given the keys. So that's, uh, yeah, it's about a central Glasgow there. And we've been given the keys to unlock people and what's in their lives. And we do that in lots of different ways. We do it through children's clubs. Yeah, we've got those special kids there this week, haven't we? And we can just say a little word and do a little thing and just start to be kingdom door openers for them. You know, maybe you're the person who opens the door and you're saying, come in. But that's just like we're opening the door of the kingdom. Sometimes it's very practical and sometimes it's very spiritual. Sometimes it's like Des coming in the other day and said, I was with this biker guy and we got into a deep and meaningful chat and I led him to Jesus. You know, maybe that, that's like fool. That's the whole thing. But often we just get to play a part, a, a little bit of sharing. And we've got that key and we're helping to unlock the doors. That somebody gave Des a Bible. So he started reading that. was a part of That's a key. Someone then took him to church. That was a key. Yep. And those were the keys that opened up the future. And, uh, and that's quite a ministry to get. And um, he's the Redeemer, but now we have a part to play in letting people in. Quite a number of years ago, I was... Um, uh, it's down in Bradford, I don't need to explain the whole thing, but I had a dream. I don't, I've had about two or three dreams in my life where they probably meant something. And this one came to me, and it really relates to what I was talking about at the beginning. Now, I was in this tower, it was a, a proper tower, kind of like, not a lighthouse, but a kind of really, like a castle tower with the slitty windows that you fired the arrows out of. And, and in the top there was a circular room. And I was, I was in there with the church, the people in our church, pretty much. And at that time I was pastoring. And, um, and I was sitting on the, the window and the worship was going on and it was all lovely. And um, I was sitting there looking out. And I could see the beach and there was, there was people on this beachfront. So it was a bit like Fort George in a sense. Have you ever been up at Fort George in the north of Scotland? right by the coast. And I could see people on the beach and they were having fun. But the more I watched, the more the waves started to billow and blow. And uh, people were running in because, you know, and the waves get up. It's fun. But the thing was the waves got more and more. And I was thinking, this is carnage. This is going to be a problem. People don't actually can't see what I can see. And but as I turned to the the room, Rude's carried on worshipping. I'm like, this is a bit weird. Like, people in trouble, and we're just worshipping. People in trouble, we're just worshipping. And I could see it, and suddenly the thing just got crazy, and it was almost like a tsunami. 
And the, the, what must have happened was that the, the doors blew off the bottom of the, of the tower in this dream. And people just came streaming in from outside. Came streaming in. And it was like the doors had been shut, but they were just blown open. And these people came running up. And, and I woke up literally screaming out loud, physically screaming out loud, we're going to be crushed to death. And God spoke to me and said, you've got to get out of this place of containment. You've got to knock this thing open and let everybody in. And do it now. Because there's going to come a time when the storms get so amazing and so whatever. And we've seen storms. We've seen financial storms and there's different storms. And you can't predict anything that's going on in the world right now. You can't predict an election. You know, you, the, you know who knows what will crash next. We just don't know. But the reality is we've got the rock of Jesus Christ. That he in turn makes us a rock. And he gives us this key to open access. And it, it fundamentally that dream changed my minister. The next day I went... After the dream, I was at, I'd been invited by a friend to go to this church. And it was called Abundant Life in Bradford, and it was absolutely massive. I'd never seen anything like it. It was about two thousand people in a warehouse, and I just thought, compared to what I do versus what God can do, and then I got this dream, and then I saw this church, and I thought, God, we've got to open up our hearts. I have got to open up my heart. You know, there's got to be a lot more folk coming in. You know, I've got to be an access person, not a you know. And the thing was that the, what Jesus objected most about the Pharisees who were around him was they were all for putting up the rules and boundaries to keep the people out. They wanted to keep it pure and to keep the people out. And that was what Jesus was most upset about because he was the one who came to let everybody in. Not on the great basis of nothing, but on the basis of his death and dying on a cross. And the Pharisees would have been happier to keep it purer and to keep it like that and to keep the doors shut. But this morning, God's calling us to be key people, access people, to open up Moody's Burn and Steps and wherever we live and wherever we are, and to, to be you know, his people who've seen this foundational revelation of Jesus. So let's pray. Father God, we just thank you today. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you're able to do anything with anyone. Lord, thank you there's none of us who are beyond kind of your saving work and then your building work and discipling work because it's about you and not about us. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, if there's anybody here today who doesn't know you, Lord, I just I pray, Lord, you would come to them just now and they would be able to trust in you for the first time. And that is you. You can just say, Jesus, I see you. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me? Would you give me your Holy Spirit? Put Jesus into my heart and help me to live a new life by the power of your Spirit. And you'll start to do that. you start utterly change. You change days, you can change you. And for those of us who say, yeah, we are Christians, Lord, would you help us to be the kind of people who will take your word and say, yes, we are people that you can build on. And yes, Lord, we have been given the keys to your kingdom. Lord, help us to use the keys to let people in. Whether it's at the coffee shop or whether it's here on a Sunday or whether it's at the kids clubs or old folks groups or the different things we do. Lord, I pray in a fresh way by your spirit there would be a season of opening doors for people. Lord, I pray particularly for men in this community who feel quite hard and like they put up big doors. Lord, those kingdom keys can open doors for men like days. And Lord, we pray for kingdom doors to open for men, maybe men who've said no to Jesus or think they have, but God, you can break in. And we pray, Lord, for men and women and boys and girls to increasingly come to know you and to receive this revelation that Peter got, 
yet you are the Christ and you are the Messiah. So we thank you today for all that you've done. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.